Another episode of the Rudest Wrestling Podcast. Now we're talking with the new head wrestling coach of the Beavers at Oregon State University, Chris Pendleton. Chris, it's been a crazy time in college sports and sports in general. And in the midst of all this, you've got a new job. What's it like to be the head man now in Corvallis? Yeah, I decided, you know, the world's changing. Why not just completely flip my life uh, upside down? So um, I am honored to be the leader of the Oregon State Wrestling Program. Uh, I cannot wait to get to Corvallis and put my feet on campus and get to work. Yeah, and, and through the whole hiring process, this had to be something uh, pretty odd to go through an interview process for any type of coaching job. Usually you're brought on campus. You had to do this probably pretty pretty much virtually like everybody's been doing everything else. Yeah, uh, the whole process was done on online on Zoom. It was a unique experience um, uh, on their end and obviously on my end, my first time really going through this process. And how, how difficult is it to to make a pitch and talk about everything that you want to bring to the program without actually being able to put your hands on it? I mean, you've been to Oregon State before multiple times, having coached it at Wyoming and Arizona State. But what was it like to know to sit there and try to maybe visualize what you're going through without actually stepping foot on campus and having it fresh in your mind? Um, you know, one of the things that I did is I uh, I had a plan. I showed them that I did have a plan. We had a, a business plan li- uh, laid out. I emailed them the thing, so they had something in, in you know, paper in hand. We can't underestimate how powerful that is. Where they got to see that this guy has a vision. He got, he knows what he's going to do. Um, and I, you know, I owe a lot to a lot of my friends. I'm part of one of the, not the, the deepest. Well, I think I, I just cannot say. I mean, there's a lot of Oklahoma State head coaches. Yeah, um, you're up to nine. You're the ninth. Nine. Okay. Yeah. Did you count, John? Yeah, Everybody Seth Duckworth counted John, so I'm giving him the credit. Uh, that. So if his math is wrong, I'm blaming him. Yeah, but what I did is I reached out to my alumni network and I asked a lot of questions, and I can't tell you how grateful I am to have that connection where they really helped me with the interview process. They walked through, hey, these are what you need to talk about. These are the areas. And then what I did is I cast this huge net out and I started just asking questions, asking people's advice. And then I took all that and I kind of pushed it down and made it mine and put my imprint on it. And I think as the interview process uh, was playing along, they started hearing my voice and what I believe. And it was one of those things. I think that's what helped me get to the job, uh, get the job. When Division One head coaching jobs open, there's usually a rush. There's usually a lot of applicants. I mean, I, I know that some schools, you know, there's 50 or 60 applicants. And, and you know, one of one of another Oklahoma State uh, alums, Neil Ayersman, when he was getting the job at Little Rock, there was tons of applicants there. Mm-hmm. When you get tons of applicants, you're also going to get a lot of guys from Oklahoma State. And when, you, when, when you're going through this process and when you went through this process, how much in the back of your mind were you worried about, Okay, who's going to apply? Who do I got to contend with? <laughs> and knowing that several of them were going to be, you know, former teammates and friends of yours from Oklahoma State, it's actually it's absolutely like what happened. Um, uh, it's just you know, but I don't think the casual fan knows. I mean, we're all best friends. Um, when we go to the NCAA tournament, when we go to Cliff Keen, when we go anywhere, you know, we always have like you know, Oklahoma State dinners where we just sit there and. We bounce ideas off each other. We talk to each other about, you know, life. And um, we vacation together. We have a, a rotating vacation. Uh, uh, last year, Zach Esposito and Brandy Esposito hosted it in Stillwater. Well, it's supposed to be in Tulsa. 
uh, at the lake and uh, uh, Oklahoma storm rolled in and that turned into we're vacationing in still water. So a uh, year before that, uh, Coleman and Jess uh, hosted in North Carolina. Hopefully uh, in the near future, I can host in uh, uh, Corvallis. And it's, it's something that like we're really extremely close and you know, we have like our running group messages and everything. Well, as the interview process was going on, I stopped texting as much because I was wondering like, wait a minute, I don't want to give anything away. You know, people are talking about, Hey, this and that, you know, this, uh, this is what I'm thinking. And I was like, um, you could see, you could tell who was interviewing because they, they kind of left the group chat for a while. Like, oh, I didn't hear from him for two days. Then all of a sudden they pop back up, like asking questions like, well, I guess he's done with his interview. Now it's my time to disappear. Oh, it's also interesting. And there's a number of alums that come together for that, uh, like the, the Cowboy Duels, which is the unofficial name, unless when it's when it's hosted at Wyoming, whereas you got, you know, I think at 1.5 different teams were in there, uh, you know, American, North Carolina, Wyoming, you know, a couple others in Army. Uh, excuse me, Army West Point. Let's get the full name of the school in there. But now we're to the point now with nine, not counting John at Oklahoma State. You guys could almost have an eight-team tournament and just just say, let's just do a tournament with all the Oklahoma State alums. <laughs> that would actually be fun. But uh, I think when we compete against each other, it's really fun because, you know, John's the ultimate competitor. Uh, he instilled in us compete, win, and we can go. We can literally go like blow for blow during a dual meet. But when we wrestled UNC um, a couple years ago, Coleman came in, beat us. We went out to dinner that night. Me, him, Neil, just uh, Jamil all hanging out. This past year, same thing. We won this time and we still went out to dinner. We still, uh, although Coleman's a little girl, uh, she, she's going to be the firecracker. She's the one that was like, I don't like you. That ref was terrible. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> she actually just told me, she was like, she came over, she put her hands on her hips. She goes, what did you think of that referee? I was like, oh, I liked him. So <laughs> the calls went our way. It's like, oh, he was terrible. I was like, well, that's, that's your daughter calling <laughs> You talk about the family component, and one thing that that Oregon State has is they have a a great wrestling tradition. It's it's yeah. one of the top programs in terms of uh, they're in the top twelve, I believe, in the total number of All Americans and, and participants. I think they you know twelve NCAA championships with guys like you know legendary names like Jess Lewis, but you also got guys like oh I don't know Les Gutches mm. who is a uh, you know a world champion. This is a guy. Uh, that was also looked at as as you know one of the best in his era, and then you had guys like Greg Strobel, who was actually part of the search committee and had a, a long career as a coach at, at Lehigh. And what have you learned about the Oregon State community, and I guess the the wrestling community in the Pacific Northwest, and just the matter of still, I guess the the ink is still kind of drying on the paper in the time it's been since you were named the head coach. Strobel, he was on the uh, search committee. Um, my area, of, my era of wrestling. Um, you know, we had a lot of battles with those Lehigh teams, a lot of hard battles. I tell people all the time, going into the snake pit, that was, you know, top three wrestling environments I've ever been in. As far as uh, going into Carver, you know, that's always a nightmare. I remember going in the snake pit. Now, uh, you can't see it. I got this scar right here. <laughs> I was wrestling Travis Frick. Who Travis Travis was a multiple-time All-American, and his dad was a multiple-time All-American. I mean, that's how deep those Lehigh roots go. And he split my mouth open, and I remember, like, just spinning on the ground. And I look up, and there's this old man being like, you're just tired. Get back in there. I was like, 
yeah, oh my God, all right, calm down. But um, uh, just that relationship with, with Greg and him being on the search committee, I can't even thank Les Gutchess enough. I, I talked to Les when I said I ca- uh, cast that net out wide. Um, he is one of the greats. He is. There's, I mean, I saw that little Twitter thing where I think they said he gave up two offensive points in like two years. That's that's ungodly. I, I, I don't know how he how he did that. And he was able to kind of walk me through a lot of the history and tradition. And it was always something I know knew about. Like you said, I've been going on and off um, to Corvallis since uh, 1999. And I knew that what you knew that there is a deep history, there's a deep tradition. And I can tell you right now, from the moment I got the job, and even before I got the job, the amount of the response, emails, phone calls, text messages from the community has shown me that I have a, I have a, a duty and obligation to, and a, a big shoes to fill, that I have to live up to that, that history and tradition of all the, I mean, there's been some great people that came through that program. And you look at what the administration does. This is not an administration that makes hires just to fill somebody. I mean, even when when the last coaching opening, I mean, Jimmy Zaleski was a big name. He's the name that you're coming in replacing there in that job. They're not going after, you know, names. I mean, you're you're you've never been a head coach, but you're still a name. You've got you know a couple national titles. You've got uh, wins over some guy with curly hair that also uh, you know every time his name gets brought up, your name gets brought up. So you've got a, You've got a reputation, and this being your first head coaching job. Where is where is your mind about that? I mean, have you had a chance to wrap it up? Be like, I am finally a Division One head coach, and it's uh, it's orange and it's orange and black, but it's not the orange and black that I'm used to. No, it's nice being back in orange. Uh, I, I've missed it a, a lot, and um, it is orange and black, and I, I, it's fun because it's familiar. Um, you know, waking up and realizing you're a head coach is a completely different ball game. And it's something that I think every assistant coach always wants and thinks about. And I mean, I, I did. I, I've always thought about leading a program and if I was ready, could I do it? And all those kind of little questions that pop in your head. But what it kind of came down to when I finally got to wake up and do it, there's a whole nother level of responsibility, a whole nother level of excitement. And it's when one of those things that I mean, it, it's been a whirlwind, but I knew I was ready. Um, I have the right, I have the right philosophy, I believe. And I, early on, I learned I need to ask questions. I need to figure it out. I need to, I need to lean on people to help me. And I'm, t- I keep saying I've cast that wide net, but when it comes back to it, now it's up to me to apply it. It's up to me to make it my own. And it's a chance for me to really lead the program. As I was getting to uh, the administration question, in terms of what makes you believe that they're they're all in on wrestling? Obviously, hiring you is is a big hire, but you know what did what did you hear from them? It says, yeah, this I don't just want to be head coach, but I want to be head coach at the right place. And why was the administration's pitch to you that that convincing? Um, Scott Barnes, he's our head athletic director, and uh, Dan Bartholomew. Um, their vision, their build the dam. They wanted a holistic approach to the development of student athletes. We did this team building exercise a couple of years ago at, at ASU where we had to write out mission, a mission statement for our program. And it ended up being invaluable to me where I went out and 
I've always believed that if I want to go hike to the top of uh, Mount St. Helens or, you know, one of these Alps, I'm going to find somebody that's done it before, that knows a path. I went about it where we were writing that mission statement. I looked up the top coaches that I could think about, you know, John Wooden, Nick Saban, Mike Chesesky, Phil Jackson, and found out, uh, found out, um, the other thing about head coaching, you got to learn how to multitask. You got to be really good at it because it's coming at you every different way uh, sideways. But when I went to those mission statements, um, every single one of those mission statements, they didn't have winning in the mission statement at all. So when I was writing out my mission statement, I was really looking for the development of the student athlete, making them who they are as people first and putting the priority on that. That's going to lead to the success athletically, but we have a job to develop them for the rest of their life. Let's be realistic. You have 35 guys on a roster. There's going to be 10 of them that get to compete for, uh, for you at the NCAA championships and not everybody's going to achieve their goals. So our job is to prepare all 35 of those guys for life after sports. I know Olympic champions that don't have great lives right now. I truly do. You know them. Wrestling, is a, wrestling could be a five-year window. It could be a 10, 15-year. I, I was a little kid from Lemoore, California. I never thought I'd travel the world. I never thought I would make this. I never thought I would be a leader of the Oregon State Wrestling Program. But it happened. I had mentors in place that prepared me for it. So my job is to make sure that the kids are developed the right way, that they're getting the right message, and that they're putting the right values on it. If you value winning at the number one priority, it's not the right message. And Scott Barnes believes that. When you talk to him and you read that build the dam and everything, it, it, that's just what it is. Part of getting those people there and we're having – the people to build is getting the right people in the Pacific Northwest. There's a great wrestling culture. We see it in Fargo every year where you see in freestyling Greco Roman, especially in Greco where there is, you know, Oregon's putting guys on the podium, Washington, Idaho, then even, even up, you, you drift up into Alaska, but uh, in Northern California, the state of Jefferson, if you will, you've got an opportunity where there is a rich wrestling culture and there is a rich, you know, rich talent pool to draw from, how much of that is 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 was in the back of your mind when you applied for this? Knowing, yeah, there's there's some really good kids in Washington and Oregon, um, outside of my own home state of California, as I'm speaking for you, that that are primed to build a program. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one of one of the things with my experience at Wyoming, um, you know, each each stop in my coaching career has kind of like given me lessons, like really really big lessons. You know, my first stop at at Oklahoma State, you know. 34 national titles, the tradition, the history, everything. It taught me how to win. It taught me everything in place. Then I then I follow Mark Branch, and I learned how to build a program. What Branch has done at Wyoming, people don't realize like what he's at. When you really take a step back and look at it, you know he's perennially beating powerhouses. He's perennially putting people on the podium, and. He kind of, I remember one of my first recruiting phone calls, it was like finding the right kid to fit that culture. And that was a lot of how I started getting in, even though the previous coaching staff had uh, recruited the Northwest a lot. So that's when I started getting my kind of recruiting ties and connections with there. And then when I, now I moved on to Arizona State, one thing I've learned is what did I want my program to look like? What will I value? 
what kids am I going to go after? You know, it's not always going to be about the, 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 the flashiest name or the biggest, you know, splash and being on the front page of, you know, flow or, you know, people talking. I want the right kids for the program. I want kids that want to live the right lifestyles, that want to come in, buy into the vision, buy into the, uh, the beliefs, that want to really focus on the development of who they are as people. And then I just really believe with that mindset, we're going to be able to start putting, bringing Oregon State back to the level that it was has been at before. And that's something that people forget. This is a program that's been at that level already. And that's the expectations from the wrestling community out there. That's the expectations from myself. That will be the expectation from the staff and the uh, student-athletes. But we're going to prioritize the right things. Culture and character are not things that are just going to be put on the wall. They're going to be things I believe in. When we talk about the culture and character, part of that, again, is is back to recruiting and picking those kids up. And is it is it overstated in recruiting circles that because you're from California, you've got that California tie, or because somebody's from uh, from Michigan, they've got a Michigan tie that that's going to help them get get recruits there. How much does your California roots help with this position? You know, one of the things that it's it's overstated a little bit, like you know, uh, big time school comes in, kids kids are going to listen to them. They're going to they're going to go. And as a kid goes through the recruiting process, one, your name can get your foot in the door. But what I'm finding more importantly is in the especially for California for me is these are people that I grew up with. These are people that know me. They know that I'm not a salesman. I'm not coming in and making false claims. Um, I'm very fortunate that I've had great mentors that have always taught me how to carry myself the right way and how to treat people. So when I go into a door and I'm talking to a kid and he goes back and talks to his high school coach, talks to his uh, peers and friends, they're going to hear things about me that, they're going to like, they're going to know that this is what I value. This is who I am. How much is the coaching, I guess, game change for you personally? And something that when you're a young coach, you're still a couple years out of high school. Uh, the kids may remember you wrestling now. I mean, you've probably eclipsed your 20 year high school reunion at this point or, or close to it. And the kids, was, the kids <laughs> yeah, the were born when you were wrestling and the guys that are coaching them are now guys you might've beaten or your teams have beaten or you grew up wrestling with. So the dynamic goes from being assistant coach where kids remember you wrestling to now being head coach and you're recruiting guys that were part of your generation of wrestlers that are now coaching our kids. I mean, how different has that changed uh, from the coaching standpoint? It is. I mean, uh, you know, we're now a kid. I actually have to had talking to somebody about this the other day. Yeah. YouTube was like three years behind for me. Like all my best wins. I just miss, I just miss YouTube where now I, I have more losses on YouTube. I think my number one wrestling video is me getting beat by Daniel Cormier. And that's a whole nother different story. It was supposed to be an exhibition match and he, he rope dope to me. <laughs> but uh yeah but i it is like uh they most kids they they at least have heard of me or, or or at least i can sell myself to them about my athletic achievements but now it's about the coaching side of it there's been great athletes that have transitioned to coaching and don't put people on podiums they don't develop people the right way uh you know so one of the things that i like to be able to show kids is on the on the wrestling side of it, I've always been able to have, knock on wood, 
success. I've always been able to, to develop athletes. I don't know if I've gone a year in my coaching career without an All-American, um, especially in the upper weights, uh, you know, because I was a bigger guy and I could get on the mat with them and roll with them and make them let them feel that style um, that I really believe in. Uh, I think you've seen me. I like, I like an offensive style everywhere I've gone. It's been an offensive style um, where now I got to be able to show them that I can coach, that I can lead, that I can do the other things. I, it was one of the reasons why a couple of years ago I had an opportunity to become a head coach and I, I walked away from it because I had to have that, hard conversation with myself in the mirror where I'm just like, I'm not ready for this. Uh, there's so many other aspects of running a program outside of the wrestling part. The wrestling part is the part I miss so much right now. I would love to go get on the mat and just roll around with the guys, teach them, build, you know, help, help them, help them figure it out, all the small details. But this is the other side of it that I have to show recruits that this is what I'm ready to do that I can do and that I'm doing right now. Is it nice to no longer have your name thrown around as one of the top head coaching candidates? Every time there's an opening, there's a list of assistant coaches. Usually Mark Perry leads that list, and then uh, you're, you're, you're like the third or fourth name down the line. But what, what's, it, what's it like now to be like no longer in that discussion? You are a head coach. I was third or fourth name down the list. Yeah, it depends on – well, I think we had a conversation about that one time. Hey, why am I not at the top of that list? Well, now you know, now it's over. You're not on the top of that list anymore. Now, that, now it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. I am uh, – the way the, – the, the world works in, a, like, in mysterious ways. Um, you know, I had a lot of different options that I was looking at for the end of the year. Um, Oregon State wasn't one of them because the position wasn't open. And so – it kind of just blindsided me when this happened. Um, it, it's my life has radically changed in a week's time. It's radically changed in a week's time. So it is nice not to have to go through that. <laughs> I'm I, I I have a feeling that Corvallis is going to be a very special place for me and my family, and I'm looking forward to it. When we look at the next steps. You can't, you're not on campus there. You're not there yet. We don't even know if uh, places are going to be open. You don't know when you're going to be able to get in the room. You don't know when you're going to be able to get into your office. So um, when it comes to your program goals, uh, how, how soon do you map those out? And, you know, how soon do you try to implement them when and when you can actually get into your office for the first time? My, my immediate goal, my immediate focus um, shifted to the athletes on the team. They, uh, they've been going through a lot right now in the world and, you know, it's rough. It's rough for them. They, they, they lost their head coach. And so my immediate attention went to them, making sure, seeing where they're at, um, that they're safe, they're healthy, knowing if they're home, are they still in Corvallis? Uh, where are they at right now? Because I want to know and that know that they're okay and being taken care of. Um, then my next, my uh, next attention was to their academics. Where are they at academically? You know, everybody's getting ripped out of classrooms online. I mean, you, you saw how long it took us to set up, uh, you know, all, all the all the apps we're using right now to get this to get this uh, call going. So I want to make sure that they were ready for that and they're taken care of. Um, and then now I'm starting to look at I have some I have some I have a vision and I have a plan. And you said you a lot and you said you, you and I'm saying I, I. But one of the things I've learned, I talked to like Pat Papalizio. Uh, and I'm watching what he did at NC State, what he did at NC State. I mean, that's that's 
a similar template that I'm looking at using and talking to um, another one that uh, a lot of people don't know about is uh, uh, Brian Smith. You know, I, I had interviewed a couple times with Brian Smith for a job. Um, you know, when you said, have you sat down with Brian and really asked him about Tiger Sal? Yeah. I mean, I think his, his, you know, like, again, we talk about the surface level, what people know, you hear him speak at conventions and there's things that he tells people there that he doesn't really show in interviews. And then you sit down yeah, I've had dinner with him a time or two and just kind of heard him speak and just, it's, it's, it's a command, it's a presence and it, it is, it is a lifestyle. It, 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 uh, all that. But when I was looking at him eye to eye and he was talking about his vision, his beliefs, the level that he believes in that, like just came shooting out at me. I was like, this is a man of conviction. This is what he believes. This is who he is. So one of the things that I got from Pat and Brian is it can't just be my vision. It can't just be me because it's hard for people to buy in on that. Like I said, I have athletes out there right now that are wondering about what I'm going to do when I come in. And I've told them, this is going to be us. We are going to sit down and make these goals. We are going to decide which way the program's heading because I can't do it all. It's going to be me, my staff, and the student athletes and the wrestling community. But mostly the people that are in the room are going to be the ones because we're the ones that have to implement it. We're the ones that have to live it. So I want them to know that they're having they're having a say in this. At the end of the day, it is going to be up to me, but I want less me and I want more we. Because when the buy-in's there, when they believe it as much as I believe it, then we're going to start really moving forward. All right. Well, and, and moving to that point, with what you're going to be developing with the we at Oregon State, what are you going to be able to take from your experiences being at one of the most successful, the, the most successful college wrestling program at Oklahoma State, then being at a non-Power 5 school that's had to scrap for some resources? I mean, it's pretty pretty well-funded and, and pretty good support up there at Wyoming. But then go to a- – I interrupt, interrupt you real quickly. That's a little misconception. The support at Wyoming – those people love that university, and that is a great head coach and a great athletic director. Tom Berman just gave 10% of his scholarship, or I mean, I'm sorry, 10% of his salary back to the student athletes there. But I understand what you're saying, but I just wanted to. Cause- well, it's not a Power Five school, so the resources aren't what they are at Arizona State. So, again, to take what you had at Oklahoma State as an athlete and had, you know, cutting your coaching teeth there. Then to go to where, you know, almost like the real people have to, you know, when you're not a, an established program, you have to work a little bit harder to get yourself into that upper echelon and then go to Arizona state of power five with a lot of resources, a great campus, you know, uh, you know, you've got a lot of things at your disposal then to go to a school at Oregon state, which is a power five looking to rebuild that tradition. So what are you going to be able to take from what you learned, uh, you know, doing the gritty work at Wyoming and then being a part of one of the greatest programs in, in college sports history at Oklahoma state, and then working with, with Zeke and Jamil and the crew down there in, in Pritz and Tempe to, to rebuild a program there. I mean, how are you going to take all of those experiences and form them into this? We that you're talking about in Corvallis. Um, that, you know, to uh, start at the first one, you talked about Oklahoma state, um, John Smith, six-time one Olympic champion. Do you know what kind of impact it has on a kid when you're walking in the room and you see John Smith standing on the mat and you're walking towards him and one of the first lessons he teaches you and drills into your heart 
is no one's bigger than the program. That's one of the first lessons that he told me. And I'm looking at him like, you're John Smith. <laughs> you're, you're, you're the goat. You're the greatest. And he's, and when he says it and you're looking at him and you can tell he's not kidding. Like he believes that if he's not bigger than the program, I'm not bigger than the program. And that is something that I'm going to take to Oregon state. I'm not the program. There's, you've talked about how many legends, how many people have been in that storied program. I'm not bigger than that. And one of the things that I'm going to, that I'm going to implement is one through 35 on the roster are all valuable. It's not going to be one person. If you're number 35 and I'll, I'll use, I'll use Art Matori as an example. Art's probably been one of the most influential people in United States wrestling, um, founder of Sunkiss Kids. I, it really is hard to find somebody for 40, 40 something, 42 years that he's been involved. It's hard to find somebody that's been that impactful for that long over Art. Art likes picking on me. You know, the first time I met him, the first time I met Art, <laughs> he sat me down and he was like, I didn't know if I wanted to, I wanted Zeke to hire you. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, you were a disappointment. I was like, you know, Dad, Wait, what? he's like, you should have been an Olympic champion. And I was like, this is the first, like not kidding. First 30 seconds of meeting him. And he told me that. And I was like, ah, so that's the kind of a, a funny side story, but art's been able to help me so much, but, back to art is he never was an NCAA champion. He never was an Olympic champion, but yet he was one of the most impactful people of all time in American wrestling. So one through 35, you, you never know what somebody's going to be or what they're going to do, but what we can instill in them, the values, the morals, the work ethic, everything. That's a great part about wrestling. So it is going to be, no one's bigger than the program and everybody's going to be valued and treated the same and held to the same standards. So you got that from Oklahoma State. Now in the that's in the kind of a, that's kind of a combined all three places. Yeah, you got that. Well, like I'm curious about Wyoming more or less than anything because when you came here to do some recruiting for Arizona State, you were still reacclimating to the weather uh, up here where it gets cold, whereas in Tempe it doesn't ever. So now you've got a more temperate climate in Corvallis. You're going to get some rain. You're going to get a lot of green. Man, Oregon's one of the greenest states I've ever seen. I miss it. I miss it. I was actually just, uh, you know, looking for a place to live and looking around, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted. I was like, man, I kind of actually want to be out in the country. So I've been looking at places outside of uh, city limits, and then in my mind I was like, well, I don't want to live that far away. But then I looked at it, I was like, Oh, it's only a fifteen minute drive, and you're out outside of, uh, outside of a, a, a campus. Or here, you know, you're you're kind of in a metropolis. So, um, I'm I'm excited about it. I do miss the green. I miss the green. And fifteen minutes outside of Laramie, though, you're like, whoa, where is where where is everybody? Yeah, yeah, and it Laramie Laramie is actually where I just it it probably was one of the best moves I possibly could have made. Um, Mark was obviously he was like an older brother to me and his family and 
going up there was scary. It was absolutely terrifying. I mean, at that point, I had just finished off, you know, being a pretty dominant college wrestler, and I had a lot of different options. And one of the things that he just sold me on was he was like, now you get to really coach. You get to really learn. And the lessons that I learned there, I mean, I it, it, it took a lot of that, you know, competitive, you know, uh, came in puffing my chest, like, we're going to do this, this, and this. And it started, started making me understand about the development of athletes, really developing athletes. You know, taking a guy like Alfonso Hernandez, who was a, uh, a runner-up or a one-time state champ in Idaho. And, and Blackfoot, right? Blackfoot, so, Idaho, yeah. yeah. And turning him into, I think, a two-time All-American. Sounds about right. And, I mean – I honestly think if we had just a little bit more time, he would have been contending for an NCAA champion. He did, he just he, he started listening and believing in the the right the right things right out of the gate. Um, so that was probably like, like maybe my most important stop in my in my coaching career. And I mean, I guess they, they're all important, but that's where that really developing athletes and learning how to treat them the right way, how to talk to them, how to uh, mentor how to inspire them, how to make them feel like you're there for them. Now, as we wrap things up and going into the Pac-12, which uh, currently does have six teams, but you've got some pretty good upper half there with and, and what's growing at Bakersfield and, you know, what Cerritos is doing at Cal Poly. And then, you know, obviously Stanford, Arizona State, and Oregon State have all won Pac-12 titles in recent years. Oregon State's got 23 of them historically. Uh, don't, don't, don't count out Neil Ersman. Yeah, Neil at Little Rock. That's that was the one I was <laughs> waiting for Neil to to punch through because that's that's going to happen. But when we talk about getting back, getting that history back, twenty three conference titles and Oregon State and Arizona State have run the conference for decades. What's it going to take for Oregon State not just to to win another conference title, but for you to basically unseat your previous employer? You're in the same conferences as Zeke and Jamil and those crew. I mean, what's it going to take for you to do that? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, what's it going to take for your we to do that? Let's let's right. stick with that. We're not going to worry about that. We're not going to worry about the. Uh, I told those guys we're about to climb a mountain. We're worried about our first step on the mountain because that first step is going to be the path that we're going to take. And if we don't take the right uh, first step, that path is going to get tougher. I do know it's a tough challenge. I do know well, the work ethic that Zeke, uh, Jamil, and Lee have. I do know what the how strong uh, of a program it is. Um, then that's not even the the real strength. The real strength of Arizona State is the uh, the support. It's the athletic department. It's the wrestling community. It's the uh, um, the donors. The the fans. That's the power of Arizona State. And we have that at, at Oregon State. I do believe that that athletic department wants us to win. I do. I, I can show you the support from the fans, from the alums, the well, the best wishes. I mean, I, I don't know how they got my personal email, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I know everybody wants to, you know, me to start off and come in and say, oh, we're going to win a Pac-12 title. We're, we're going after Arizona State. We're going after Stanford because Stanford's got some – they got some young monsters in their lineup. They really do. And they got a great coaching staff too. But that's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the first step on the journey. And it's well, I want to make sure that it's the right step because I want this program ran the right way. Character and culture are the things that I'm really worried about right out of the gate. So would, uh, would this be Chris Pendleton's odyssey, so to speak? 
Mm, I knew you were going to throw that one in there. Yeah, yeah, it, it is my path. It is my journey. Yeah, how many people are on that journey with them? Yeah, I was going to throw an Iliad question at you, but I think that was a good good place, Dan. Chris Pendleton, congratulations on the new job. I know it's something that a lot of us that have known you for years have been just like, all right, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? You're here. You've got it. We'll wait to see what 2020, 2021 brings when we get back on campus. So good luck along the way, and thanks for joining the Brutus Wrestling Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.